0: $5 minimum balance required. All right, before I get to my next guest, Mr. Ben Wright, I want to give a shout-out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at fin Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing fin Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to FinScooters.com and click on Find a Fin for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Top community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020 McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themacklemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T, and I'm, and I'm both honored and amazed to say this, but making his 17th appearance with me is one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Mr. Ben Wright. It's always an honor for me to have Mr. Wright as part of the show. In my mind, he's the best broadcaster that uh, golf has ever had. Uh, no one before sent has painted the, the pictures the way that he did and helped us uh, witness and appreciate the game of golf the way he did. I mean, you, you go back and you you listen to his calls, right? You go back to 75, that'll be evil music ringing in Nicholas's ear was his call when Tom Weisskopf birdie to take the lead on the 15th hole in the 75 Masters. Legendary. And I always like to make sure everyone remembers this, particularly this week, that it was Ben Wright who used the phrase, yes, sir to put an exclamation point on Jack Nicklaus's ego putt on the 15th hole during the final round of the 86 Masters. And that came 20 minutes before Vern Lundquist used that phrase again when uh, Mr. Nicklaus made the birdie putt on 17. Uh, Mr. Wright has left his legacy all over the history of the Masters tournament and golf history for the nearly three decades that he broadcasted the game. And I am so honored that I get to say he is back with me here on Next on the T. Good evening, Mr. Wright. How are you?
1: My word, I fold over again, Chris. You just, you just give me the such a fulsome introduction. I almost feel I've done it for the night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm fantastically well, thank you, uh, for my age, you know. But i um, I'm really working out very hard and uh, keeping myself in remarkable shape. Uh, actually probably better than I have been uh, for a couple of decades maybe but anyhow I'm looking forward to enormously to this Masters because uh, obviously there's a huge amount of fuss about Bryson the Chambeau and rightly so I mean the man is uh, he they may call him the mad scientist but there's method in his madness and um, I've got to applaud him for what he's trying to do but I think a lot of people have forgotten that I i think he missed 26 fairways in that uh,
0: phenomenal
1: open victory but you know you can't doubt it out of the tree like you can out of a wing foot rock. So if he goes astray, then um, we may have a, a bunch of Deschamps playing outside. Um, but, uh, you know, give him his due. He's trying to just take it by the scruff of the neck and, and destroy Augusta National. And you know he's every right to. I just wish he would play a bit more quickly. But of course, if you're a mad scientist, you're gonna you're gonna take your time, I suppose. Um, I I really look beyond him for the winner um, this week, and I think we might get a surprise packet. And uh, you know, I have a. A sort of sneaking feeling from a gentleman from England who I've never met because he's so darn young, and that is Cyril Hatton. I I think that, uh, yes, 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 I've had a little wager on him at a very accommodating price. Um, It's it's an each way bet. And, um, you know, I think. Uh he has a serious shot, that he's been he playing absolutely magnificently for quite a while now. Um but you know, we, we the Euros are not winning like they used to for a while and uh, it'll be a surprise well, obviously to most people, but um I I'm prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So let's talk about that, because that's one of the things I was talking uh, to Tom Patrick earlier in the show about, because as as we look at the forecast and right, we've been talking about that a lot tonight on the show, and it it looks like it's going to be cloudy and rainy, uh, particularly the next couple of days. Obviously, tomorrow just being a practice round. But Thursday looks like rain. Friday, they're talking about rain in the morning, but it's going to be overcast. And then Saturday, Sunday, also a chance of rain. I got to imagine that in those kinds of conditions, that might give a little bit of a uh, a step up for some of the European players, being used to playing in the damp conditions that maybe our players aren't uh, quite as adept at.
1: Yes, yes, I think uh, I was taking that into account. But, you know, I know the forecast because we get um, where I am, Flat Rock, North Carolina. We get Atlanta's weather, but I mean. We've, we've got a bad forecast uh, until Monday, really. Um, and uh, I I wouldn't be at all surprised to see a mother, uh, M-U-D-D-E-R, from Europe uh, pull this one off.
0: To that end, I think, uh, you know, you're, you're surprised with the Terrell Hatton though he, he won not all that long ago. Uh, back in October, he went over on the European Tour by four strokes, by the way. Uh, so certainly his game looks like it's rounding into form for sure. But I think we've all been sort of waiting for Rory McElroy to take this tournament, you know, by the horns and, and get the uh, career grand slam. What's your expectations from Rory? You
1: know something, Chris, I don't have any anymore because he disappoints me. On a perennial basis. Uh, you know, and, you know, he talks a good game, but um, he's not backing it up of late. And uh, I don't know what's the matter with him. He, I, I, You know, um, he doesn't pop well enough for me. And uh, they're going to have the green pretty fair take because of their ability to dry them out. and that kind of thing, and uh, you know, I don't have any expectations of Rory, much as I love him. But of course, when you don't have any expectations, expectations of him, he's more likely to win. Really, I think. You know, if he if he could only get under the radar, but that is so unlikely that uh, you know. I, I'm prepared for him to disappoint me again. But I'm hoping for the best, obviously, because I'd love to see the exclusive uh see him in the exclusive club of uh well are five at the moment, who won all four majors. I love I love that to happen because he's a tremendous kid and uh, I've known him since he was a boy and uh, I really I'd love to see him do it, but I I don't expect Chris. Don't expect you know, there, there's I think there's a great thing about Augusta National. It can make you but it can destroy you. And I I only gotta think about Jordan Speed and uh, Franco Molinari. You know, they they have had Absolutely gone into the tank since they blew the masses. You know, uh, with uh, Pete putting two in the water at twelve, and Molinari putting it in the water at twelve and fifty. And uh, you know, I think that might be something that McElroy may never uh, join that. To to uh, but I you know it, it it is a cruel place. I mean, it can be it can be a wonderful place, but it can be brutally cruel. And I go back a long time with Lee, who came by my tower when he had a three-stroke lead uh, going out of fifteen, which was my place, and bogeyed the last three holes when I was driving up to the uh, compound to watch him bogey 18 as he had bogeyed 16 and 17. Now with respect to Edgar as I used to call him um, he hasn't been heard of since and um, you know Augusta National it raises your Hope to such a degree, and then dashes them. And uh, I think you know, Bobby Jones used to say that what championships are lost and won. And I thought those were very uh, keen words. I, I I very much appreciate what that 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 sentiment is. Uh, I, I, but uh, you know. I'm a, I'm a sentimental old devil and I would love to see uh speak and Molinari come good again. Uh if it, even if it is this year in the future. I I, I is too darn good a player to be languishing or, you know, 180 hundred and eighty first or wherever he is in uh in the world order now just too good a plan. But I believe, you know, there is uh, paralysis by analysis, and uh, I think probably Pete is a victim of that syndrome.
0: Mr. Wright, I want to kind of continue to pick your brain about memories, and, and you, you mentioned uh, how how cruel Augusta National can be, and we've talked in the past about, you know, Tom Weisskopf and what happened in 75, and losing to Nicholas like that and really crushing him. Um, but I also want to talk about 78 because I was kind of going back and, and reviewing some of the masters from the, from the seventies and 78s when uh, Gary player, one of your good friends, uh, you know, got his third master's jacket that year. Um, but I, you also got to remember that Hubert green had what a three footer on 18 to tie him and yes. go into a playoff. And, and fact uh, yes. you know, I, as I'm watching the, the the broadcast, I mean, he gets over that putt and seems to sit there for a while, and then someone makes a noise, and he backs off and goes back in there, and then and then misses that putt. Um, yeah, got to be pretty cruel yeah, to be you know, Hubert Green there.
1: Yes, it was cruel to Hubert Green. It was a hell of a player, and um, uh, you, uh, you will remember that he won the uh, Open at Southern Hills Tulsa when he'd been told he might be shot at, (laughs) you know, um, and he elected to play. Um, It it is a very cruel event. And, I mean, we've only just talked about uh, a few of those. I mean, Weisskopf, you know, he was too good a player to be second four times, But, of course, Tom was his own. Enemy. He was, he was in his day uh, a true crazy. and and um, you know I loved the man dearly because we were great friends, and I had the highest admiration of his ability. But he was his own worst enemy. He really didn't give it his full attention, and. Uh, that we are, you know, he only won one major and he should have won at least half a dozen in my opinion.
0: Mr. Ed, I want to get your memories of that 75 Masters because as I was listening to the broadcast, Vince Gully was broadcasting the Masters you know, with you that year, Pat Summerall, Ken Venture, yourself uh, in 75 and, and, um, I, I wanted to kind of get your memories of what it was like being a part of the team along with a guy like Mr. Scully.
1: Oh, you know, that that 75-month, Chris, is probably um, overlooked. It was just as great as 1986, really, in my opinion, except it was a downbeat finish in that Nicholas was in. And Weisskopf and Johnny Miller had a chance to tie him, and they failed to do so. So it didn't have the uh, incredible impact of Nicholas's incredible inward half of 30, including a bogey in 1986. But to me, 1975 had all the ingredients of a one of the great events of my life, quite frankly. And uh, I never will forget my exchange with Henry Longhurst on 16 and me on 15 with Weisskopf and Nicholas. That was magical and a magical experience for me uh, to be in that kind of a situation uh, you know, I only
0: dreamed
1: of that. And uh, to be in that situation was truly something that I'll never forget until I die.
0: One of the other things about that 75 event, and and we learned this week that Lee Elder is going to join Jack Nicholas and Gary Player as a, an honorary tee uh, for that honorary tee shot. Uh, in April. So when we convene again, he will be there on that ceremonial tee. But that was his first Masters. That was breaking the color barrier, if you will, uh, in in Masters history. What do you remember about that piece of that tournament?
1: Well, you know, uh, I called Lee Elder the leading black golfer during that 1975 tournament. And I was all over by the gentleman in Rico uh, who said that they would rather me say that he was the leading golfer of his race, which I thought was very strange. But I think the fact that Fred Ridley has invited him to be the honorary starter along with Nicholas and Blair in April is a phenomenal move in the correct direction and uh, I applaud Mr. Ridley un- un- unashamedly
0: with the from the bottom
1: of my heart because I think you know uh, and I'm hoping uh, I've got to say this Chris I'm hoping that Harold the Third will win a tournament very soon because here is a guy who really putting in his time and uh, we need, we need more black golfers or the best golfers of their race um, we need it I mean, there's no question about it, I thought Tiger Woods would open the floodgates but that he has not done so at all and uh, the game is all the poorer for it Anyhow,
0: Mister Ed, I want to talk about um, your relationship with with Seve Ballesteros, and you got to see him at his highs, and you got to see him at his lows. I mean, winning the Masters in '80 80 and '83, on top of you know his Open Championships, amazing. Um, you also, and you've talked about this on the show in the past, had some struggles with him over you know his collapse on the back nine in '86. Talk about you know being a witness to a friend of yours with Mr. Biasteros and a friend of yours and Gary Player seeing them at their peak and then seeing them also uh during their struggle
1: yes um they they you know they're very difficult they're very different people um Debbie was extremely volatile and not always friendly but I loved him for the, the sheer beauty of what he could accomplish when he was at his best. And Gary Clare, I just I admire him to the end of time because he just wouldn't take no pronouncer. And when I first met him, he had no bloody idea how to play the game. I mean, like Mr. Hogan before him he had a series of duck hooks until he finally sorted himself out as did Mr. Hogan and uh, you know for sheer determination and possibly not even um, as great a talent as some of his rivals but Gary did it through sheer Termination and uh, I love the fact, you know, you talk about him having bleeding hands from practicing. Well, he made himself. Chevy was natural, but Gary was a made player, and he did it, by the sheer force of his will and courage.
0: And when he won his third Masters in 78, he did it by shooting a, a then-course record 64 in the final round, becoming the oldest champion at that time. He was 43. And, oh, by the way, yeah. a 21-year-old Sevi Ballesteros was his playing partner that day, and I believe Mr. Player was his idol, and he got to witness that sort of thing. Talk about, you know, getting to see Mr. Player at 43 years old Two to 64 and come through and win a third master.
1: Well, you know, Chris, I would say that um, outside America, Gary uh, has been uh, the only person who really espoused athleticism and be- becoming a true act. I mean, in my early days. There were a lot of beer bellies out there, and guys who would drink away the night and uh, chase wenches through the night as well. But Gary, Gary, uh, personifies a man who was determined to be the fittest man out there, and was for decades. And uh, I think you know he set a fashion. For the young men of today, who are real athletes, and uh, I think it, you know, Gary, he's really one of the all-time greats. I don't have any doubt about that. And you know, he didn't even have stature of any kind. I mean, I, I, I suppose really wet. You'd never been taller than five eight, you know. And uh, I, I, I can't tell you how much I admire what Gary Player has accomplished, traveling millions and millions of miles uh, on aircraft, and uh, you know, with all the respective jet lag and everything. I think, really, if anything. Gary
0: is underrated. Mr. Wright, I want to get your memories as well about Mr. Palmer. When we think about Masters Week and want to think about one of the greatest champions in Masters history, of course, we think of Mr. Palmer. Won four times and four times from 1958 to 1964. Uh, But then he, he sort of disappeared. We never saw him win another major after 1964. What happened with Mr. Palmer, do you think that um certainly one of the, the maybe the game's greatest ambassador ever, but such a brief history well, for think, winning majors in that time?
1: Well I think, you know, uh, Nicholas destroyed him. I uh, I I think uh, uh a Palmer would I think he would tell him, put him away. Um there was no question about that. Um but I was very surprised that he didn't win. I was with him when he won the Spanish Open in 1973 at La Manga, Campo de Golf in southern Spain. And he was he was over the moon because the last toll was a par five and he birded it to win the event. And it was like he won the world championship uh, he, he was so thrilled and delighted and I think more than a little relieved. you know um, we, we've written him off by that time I never wrote him off because he was the greatest gentleman who ever played the game like like Bobby Jones I mean Bobby Jones and Long Palmer were two of the greatest guys who have played the game as far as I'm concerned in their incredible gentlemanly behavior.
0: Mr. Wright, looking back over the Masters that uh, that you broadcast and got to be a part of, I'm curious was was there ever a time when a, a, a player was coming into where you were covering most of the time at 15 that you saw them take out a, an iron or hit a shot, and you're like, "I cannot believe this guy's about to hit this shot." <laughs>
1: um, you know, uh, there so many dramatic things happened at 15 in those days because, as I used to say, uh, the heart would stop pumping at the top of the hill when the player decided. Whether or not to go for the green, because it looks a very shallow sliver from up there. But those were the days when they were hitting a long shot into 15. But of course, John Daly hit 9 on, and that was all over. And really, it's become a a dangerous far forward, really, now. In my opinion, you know, it's a shame, but um, that really broke the subject about they've got to have a bifurcation and get the pros play of all that doesn't go so far, because it's made a mockery of 50. And um, I, I find that utterly tragic, because it's one of the great golf holes in the world. And uh, it's now become, and of course, if it, most of December it's a decent dry, We call it the hitting sanguine. I mean, it's absolutely absurd.
0: The opposite side of that question is when you've been broadcasting, and I know, you know like I say, how many great friends you had out there playing on tour, was it was there ever a, a time when it was hard for you to kind of contain your personal thoughts and your personal excitement for what what was going on and somebody was achieving and uh kind of unfolding right there in front of you to kind of contain it and try to be as you know non-partial as you as you had to be?
1: Yeah, you you know, I never had any problem with that, Chris. I really had no faith I I really I can honestly say that I just uh, called it as a story. Uh, there was never any feeling of uh, you know wanting anybody particular to win. I must say I would have liked this need to win because he was a good friend and a fabulous travelling companion. Um, when he worked for ABC, uh, and I used to see him a lot in in England and Scotland and so on. But you know, uh, I I never really played favorites. Um, uh, of course, people like Pat Toml, my dear friend Pat Toml, would say that I was totally in favor of everybody's terror. Well, no, I mean, no. Tevi won his two Masters and he lost 1986 to Nicholas and So be it. You know, that's the way it, it transpired. But I I never was rooting for any particular player other than me. I do admit that.
0: So that begs the question. Of the masters that you got to be a part of, which are your favorites?
1: Well, obviously, Um, had to be my favorite because of what Nicholas accomplished. But I, I, you know, as I said earlier, I thought 75 was just as good because, you know, Weiskopf and Johnny Miller were obviously pretenders to Jack Nicholson's throw. And uh, to have them all finished within a crew was truly a remarkable event. Um, there were many more wonderful masters. I mean, Ray Floyd in 1974. I mean, he almost lapped the field because he was so brilliant at the par five. Um, there were so many of them, you know, Chris. Uh, they, they're, they're, I I have been very fortunate to witness some of the great events of our time, you know. And I I I will uh, go to my grave saying that I was fortunate to be a witness to the golden era, and. Um, while I didn't have much to do with Tiger, I had much to do with practically everybody else. And, uh, and of course now the, you know, the Kepkers and those guys are coming along. And, uh, it's a, it's a different game. Very different game. It's, uh, there's less sudden and more crashing back. And, uh, That's not my bag at all. In fact, um, you know, I think the Shemlow is very good for himself but I think he's very bad for the game. And uh, I noticed that Ian Woodson said the very same thing today in the London Daily Telegraph. And I was very pleased to see that. And of course, he was a virtual midget, I mean, five foot four, and he won the Masters in 1991. And um, you know, uh, it's a different game, isn't it, Chris?
0: Very much so. And I'm I'm curious to get your thoughts. If, if Bryson's bad for the game, bad for the game, why? Because of how far he can hit it?
1: Well, I think. Uh, I mean, the ball is just the only way they can address the situation. They're not yeah. going to be able to, they're not going to, can't change the club because you'll have a, uh, a million lawsuits. But But um, they could use one ball for the pros and one for the amateurs and let the amateurs hit it a million miles because they're not doing it for a living. They're just having fun, and but it is, I think, quite ridiculous. And I, I don't blame the camel. I blame the governing bodies for being so slow to have done anything about it. They've been slow about it, and I think they're they're really to blame for the whole
0: situation. Mr. Wright, one more before I let you go, and I have to imagine over the course of your brilliant career, there have been a lot of times when somebody has pulled you aside to say how much your call or your broadcast or your personality or your being there has made a difference in their lives, because I know it's made a difference in mine, so I I was curious What moments, looking back on your career, have really touched you?
1: Oh, there have been so many, Chris. Um, You know, the fact that you want to hear from me when I'm 88 years old is something that I find incredibly touching. And I, I get correspondence from all sides. You know, to this very day, I wrote a piece. Recently, for the Gulf Heritage Society magazine, on my friendship with Mr. Ben Hogan. And I can't tell you how much correspondence I've had uh, since that article appeared. And, you know, and it was something, it was a throwaway piece I did in a couple of hours. But I mean, it's incredible. Um, people do remember. And I'm very touched and extremely fortunate to be here, so well regarded at this ridiculous age.
0: <laughs> Mr. Wright, before I let you go, remind our listeners about your golf course, Cliff Valley, up there in Travelers Rest, South Carolina.
1: Yeah. A uh, nice little golf course. <laughs> uh, I, you know, listen, Chris, I I designed it to be user-friendly, and the beautiful thing is that it is so user-friendly that it is easily the most popular of all the seven courses, purely and simple, because it's fun, But I've got to say in my favor that the pros on the BMW Tour, you know, that that, uh, or Clawcon or whatever, I can't remember the name. They change the name so often. But the players who have played my course in the BMW Tournament uh, last year told me that, that they rated it. The best golf course on that tour. So I rest my (laughs) (laughs) case. Indeed.
0: (laughs) Well, Mr. Wright, it is always a huge privilege for me to get to spend this time with you. I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time tonight and all the other times you have been a part of the show. Uh, It's something that I look forward to every single time when uh, you're gracious enough to tell me you'll come on. Uh, that becomes the most anticipated show of uh, of that time period. So, uh, and tonight is no different. I can't thank you enough for being here and uh, all the wonderful stories that you have shared tonight and over the years. Uh, you are a, uh, a national treasure.
1: Well, if you want me, I'm always
0: here. <laughs> well, you be and welcome. And I'll never stop you'd
1: wanting you. You'd be welcome anytime. You're such a darn good person to talk to. I really appreciate it uh, more than you know.
0: Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you for saying that, but uh, moreover, I appreciate you. Um, You're just fantastic. So thank you so much for your time tonight. I'm already looking forward to uh, when the next time is in between now and then. I hope you'll stay safe and I wish you good health and uh, happy holidays and look forward to the next time.
1: And the same to you, and I look forward to it,
0: too, Chris. Thank you. Thank thank you, Mr. Wright. Take care, my friend. That's a great Ben Wright, folks, and it just never, ever gets any better than that. Um, To get the opportunity to, you know, pick his brain and and think about more of the stories and the things that he's covered uh, and to have his wisdom uh, shared is is just something you can't put words to. his contribution to the game of golf and to broadcasting are immeasurable. Uh I I I say this sincerely folks. When I go back and rewatch the broadcast and listen to his calls and, and just sort of close my eyes and let him draw what is happening. I don't even look at the video a lot of times. I just want to close my eyes and sort of soak in what he is painting for all of us and what he painted for us for like I say, for 30 years on golf tournaments, it's outstanding. Um, you know, he he doesn't talk when he's not supposed to talk, and he he paints the idea of what is about to take place, and it's described so eloquently. I mean, I mean, look, just just the two that that I mentioned, right? You go back to 75. That'll be evil music ringing in the bear's ears. You know what just happened? You know Tom Weisskopf just made that putt. And you can see, you know, he kind of pans over to 16, Nicholas looking over his shoulder and then essentially saying to himself, okay, now I'm going to go do this, right? And Nicholas makes the putt on 16 and then goes on to win. And then, you know, the yes, sir thing, I mean, for crying out loud, I mean, I have to believe Vern Lundquist had that in the back of his mind because Ben Wright said it a few holes ago. So that was the right thing to say. Not only was it the right thing to say when Nicholas makes the eagle on 15. It was the right thing to say on 17. Now, I mean, everybody gives Vern Lundquist the credit for it, and unfortunately, they don't—they don't remember that Ben Wright did it 20 minutes ago, and it made that made that staple uh, a part of uh, the the '86 Masters. So, um, uh, just I—I I can't tell you how much Mr. Wright means to me. Uh, he has made a difference in my life, made a difference in this show, and what we've been able to do every single time he has been a part of it. So, I can't thank him enough. Uh, for his contributions over the years, and I'm absolutely looking forward to the next time I am blessed enough to have him as part of the show. All right, my friends, it is time to, for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patrick, John Patrick, and Mr. Ben Wright for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like, and we're coming down to it, folks. Only a couple of more episodes uh, to go. So uh, we've got next week and then the week after, and then that's uh, that's going to be a wrap for this season. So really looking forward to the next couple of weeks, and uh, I can't thank you enough for letting us continue to be a part of your golfing uh, content. You can find this show as a podcast. We are all over the net, folks. So if you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're likely on it. We're on podcast.co, and that's .co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pod, uh, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, player.fm, radio.com. So we're all over the place. So, and you can even, uh, you can find us. You can ask Alexa for us and she's going to find it, find uh, the show for you as well. So folks, as always, I can't thank you enough for being here. Until next week, hit them straight, my friend.